I've never been to a dog race before, so I have not fact-checked this, but it's said that if those dogs ever catch that rabbit or whatever it is that leads them around the track, that they will never race again. There's something about ripping victory from the hands of defeat that can make you fat and lazy if you're not careful. When we have nothing to stand for, we will fall for anything a guy once said. I think he was a founding father. Who's your founding father? Christians and conservatives have for far too long enjoyed cultural dominance and we've been slowly losing it since the 70s. To the point now where we've reached critical mass, I'd say. Even our recent victories show us how much we've lost. Take, for example, the win that we experienced in Tennessee last week after people like the Daily Wire and Matt Walsh and other Republicans took a stand against gender mutilating care for minors. An activist judge denied that order that was signed under Bill Lee. But the Sixth Circuit just ruled that that ban should be upheld and kids are now safe again in our state from this diabolical agenda. But the mere fact that we're even having this conversation shows how much power that we have lost and how much power the marginal has gained in society. We're having to fight just to keep people from mutilating their kids. In a society where conservative values were the norm, such a thing would be shameful to even utter out loud. Thankfully, conservatives are fighting back and they're starting to wake up a little bit, but our job is not done. In Texas, a bill that outlawed drag shows for kids has been deemed unconstitutional. Now kids in Texas can enjoy their favorite drag queens prancing around on stage and shoving fake appendages in their face. All of this is a reminder that most of the neutral ground conservatives enjoyed when we were winning the culture has eroded. A new breed of half-man, half-woman is vying for cultural dominance, and the only ones who can stop them is conservatives. We must do it lovingly, respectfully, of course, but do it nonetheless. Or we may find that all of the hand-waving as though these issues were no big deal may actually come back to haunt us. We've never lived for a, a long period of time in a culture dominated by the left, but we're already seeing what it looks like. Racial animosity, riots and looting, sexualization of children, the breakdown of the family, porous borders, and the total denial of objective truth. We should question societal norms, but the postmodern left wants to destroy all societal norms, even the good things. There's only one question. Will you stop them? We'll talk about how you can do that today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And to check out today's show, sponsor our friends over at Anchor. Not only help us with all of our small business solutions, but they can help you. They can help you with staffing. They can help you with accounting, bookkeeping, and they can also help you with taking your business and scaling it so that you can create strategies to create more wealth for yourself. But in order to do that, you have to go to Anchor and see all that they can do for you. So make sure you get the name right. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. Go over there today and see all the great things that they can help you do. Devan and his team are absolutely phenomenal. They're, they have first-rate customer service and not to mention they have some great products. But when you go over there, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Last week, while Tennesseans and people in Kentucky were celebrating the win that gender-affirming care, quote-unquote gender-affirming care, what I like to call in the show gender-mutilating care, uh, has been banned for minors in their states, 
something else was happening in Texas. In Texas, the ban to end drag shows for minors was actually deemed unconstitutional. So here's what a report said. The Texas ban on certain drag shows is unconstitutional, a federal judge says. Senate Bill 12 would have prohibited performers from dancing suggestively or wearing certain prosthetics in front of children. Critics sued the state, saying it violated the first amendment. All right. So what they're saying is, is that ultimately freedom of speech demands that we have drag shows for kids. So freedom of speech protects people who are wanting to say something. So what exactly do drag shows for children tell the world? Perhaps we can get a bit of a clue as to what that is by watching this clip. Before I went to sleep last night, it was heavy on my heart and I woke up this morning with notes on my mind. And I sent out a tweet that our God is a God of love. And children's very first teacher and role model will be their parents. And it is their parents' decision on what form of entertainment they subject them to. I hate this is my state. Um, I've always been proud to represent Texas. I've always struck. I've always held strong to my roots. I am very proud to say that I'm from Mesquite and that I went to West Mesquite Baptist Church. So I am, I'm, I'm taken back at this very moment. And what a sad day, a sad day for someone like myself who believes in art and entertainment that can inspire, that can enlighten that can encourage. I believe that my drag is a form of, of a superhero power. Now, first and foremost, before I get into the substance of what this individual just got done saying, uh, I have to make mention of the fact that listen to the people who are invoking God a lot in their arguments today. It's not always people on the right. It's not always evangelical Christians like myself. It's People like this man dressed as a woman saying, well, God loves everybody and I go to the Southern Baptist Church. And so all this individual is giving us this information that we are told by our cultural elites and people on the left that it shouldn't matter. You know, religion is a private thing. You know, you need to keep that out of the public square. But look at the people who are trying to place it firmly in the conversation. So. I see no reason why I shouldn't also talk about one of the most important things in life and inarguably one of the most important things in reality, if true, that God does exist. And I see no reason why I shouldn't allow that to fuel my understanding about what we just heard. And so as a Christian, as a moral parent, as a person of conscience, I have to say that what we just heard is incredibly troubling because this ban on, on drag queen shows again, was, was done so with a pretty clear premise. So this law, and you can go check it out yourself. I won't put it on the screen, but I'll link it down below in the description of this podcast. You can go check out the bill yourself if you want to wade through it, but I'll just essentially tell you this. The bill clarifies exactly what a sexually explicit show looks like, and then it prohibits those things. So among those things, and again, this is kind of paraphrasing, but among those things is that men wearing prosthetics, or women, I suppose, wearing prosthetics in front of children and dancing suggestively is something that should be banned. In other words, 
men wearing fake breasts and dildos are not allowed to dance in front of children. And so we have this drag queen telling us, while invoking God of all things, that ultimately this is a violation of my First Amendment. This is a violation of what true love looks like and what freedom looks like. So it is not me, it is this individual who is equating their speech or what they are trying to say with the shoving of dildos and prosthetic breasts in the face of children. So they are the ones who are saying this. They are not arguing that they should be able to do this in 18 plus clubs. They are not, because that's not even on the table. They are arguing that it is fundamentally important for their identity to be able to do this in front of kids. Now, what does that say? Because if we're going to talk about the First Amendment and we're going to talk about this being unconstitutional, we need to be honest about what they're actually saying, that they are interested ultimately in sexualizing children. They're also saying one other thing that I think deserves a little bit of attention. They're essentially redefining love. All this talk about God at the beginning of this clip and the, the idea that ultimately you just hate love if you're not willing to allow men to strap on dildos and women's dresses and dance suggestively in front of kids. It's just because you don't understand what love is. Well, in what crazy world is that actually love? See, if we had a biblical understanding of love or even a Christian understanding of love, we would understand that not everything you call love is actually love. And what drag queens are doing to kids might actually classify it as something actually abusive to children rather than loving to children. So this is why I love Aquinas' definition of the word love. Now, I talked a lot about this on the show during supposed Pride Month um, and talked about how the redefinition of love is actually a cultural agenda to try to undermine virtue in society. But ultimately, Thomas Aquinas said this, love is willing the good of the other. This is important for us to understand because as a parent, we know this well. Even as a husband or a wife, we know this well, that if we truly love somebody, that doesn't mean we tolerate all of their attitudes, all of their behaviors, or whatever else you want to throw in the mix. Real love is not tolerating those things because if you love somebody, you will try to help them live the most prosperous life they possibly can live. And please tell me how men dressed up as women shaking fake appendages in the front, in the face of children, is actually in any way beneficial to them. What is actually more beneficial is for us to have a very frank conversation with these grown men who have delusional gynephilic issues and tell them that they need to get those things addressed, that it is not going to make you feel better about your issue by trying to indoctrinate other kids so that they have those issues too. It's not going to normalize that behavior for you. It's never going to provide the peace that you need in your soul with those kind of behaviors. All of that comes by you recognizing that what you're doing is not actually loving or beneficial to society or personally beneficial to yourself. See, true Christian love would stand up, flat-footed, speak to this drag queen and say, hey, because I care about you, I have to tell you that what you're doing as a drag queen is in no way beautiful, good, or true. That's the tripartite kind of Aristotle thing that I think we need to bring back and Christians maybe need to think about. What is good? What is true? And what is beautiful? Because at the end of the day, drag queen shows don't fall into any of those categories. They're neither beautiful, nor true, nor good. So if we're going to really be honest about that, then a loving person would, would have a frank conversation and say, freedom of speech, and certainly our founding fathers didn't think this, even though they wore wigs, freedom of speech 
doesn't fall under what you're doing as drag queens. Uh, freedom of speech doesn't have anything to do with sexually explicit shows. You know, it'd be one thing too if they if this law didn't explicitly illustrate and and line up what it actually means by sexually explicit. And and now we have these people, as I've already suggested, saying that that this is a travesty of justice, it's unconstitutional, that we must be able to do these kind of sexually explicit things. Well, if we're going to have a conversation about the First Amendment, again, I go back to this, that we're going to have to have to have a conversation of what is actually being communicated to see if that level of communication needs to be had or should be constitutionally protected. You know, the left are always the ones who are saying that hate speech shouldn't be constitutionally protected, while the people on the right are saying, hey, I disagree with, with what you're saying very very often, whoever that person may be. Um, I, di I can disagree with what you're saying, but I will fight for your right to say it. In other words, there are forms of speech that should be protected that may even be a little bit controversial, but trust me, those forms of speech don't mean any form of speech, and they certainly don't mean any form of speech in front of kids. So we have to be willing to ask, what are you actually trying to communicate? And if that message be good, fine. But if we as a society can finally agree about the immorality of what's happening at these drag queen shows, well then maybe we can actually get back to doing what we're supposed to do as a good society, which is raising well-rounded kids who are well-adjusted to society rather than delusional. Now, speaking of delusional, Newsom just named a replacement for Dianne Feinstein, who unfortunately passed away at the age of 90. I really do want to respect and honor Feinstein as a person and as an individual and do what I would want done for me, even if somebody disagreed with my mother or something like that, to, to offer condolences. But at the same time, we have to be honest about this public figure. You know, this is something that Christians are a little bit squeamish about doing when it comes to like megachurch celebrity pastors, like we're tearing down the whole church if we critique one celebrity pastor or something like that. But what we have to understand is that Dianne Feinstein, like many of these celebrity pastors out there, represent things to people. And as a result of that, they have to be willing to represent those people well. And then they also, because of a virtue being in the public eye, and because whether they like it or not, they're representing whatever they're representing, that they also are subjects of scrutiny and should be subjects of scrutiny because of their prominent position. Trust me, when the celebrity pastor wants to sell a book, he loves his platform, but when he is asked to actually speak on a controversial issue, that's when he hates his platform and he's very quick to say, you know what, I just, you know, I, I shouldn't use my platform. I'm not a, I, I'm not a, a, a thought leader or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just a pastor. So in, in other words, it, it, we have an obligation to be honest about what took place with Feinstein and she was a very left-leaning um, politician and I, I know she will be missed by her family members, but honestly she stayed in office far, far too long as well because the woman was barely able to even cast votes as you'll see in this clip. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. <laughs> Thank you. The gerontocracy is in full effect, baby, and thankfully in California, also, Nancy Pelosi is staging her comeback and can't wait for that sequel. Nonetheless, uh, as a result of Dianne Feinstein being in California, now it is up to Newsom to find her replacement, and apparently he did. And he found somebody to be 
uh, Feinstein's successor by the name of Laponza Butler. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, it's my best shot at it and the best we'll get, at least for today. Uh, Laponza was a political advisor to Kamala Harris when she was in California, and now she is the, I guess, the stand-in, the, the token uh, person that Newsom said that he would put in place of Feinstein when he when she stepped out of office. He promised that he would put a black woman in Feinstein's position because that's, I guess, what you need to qualify these days. Needless to say, I didn't take the time to dig into Lapanza's record or anything like that. I can only tell you this. If Lapanza is um, a advisor to Kamala, and Kamala's record is any reflection of who Lapanza is going to be, then here's some of the things that we have to look forward to. Because Kamala was supposedly supposed to be the border czar and supposed to be the one who was there to represent what's going on at our southern border and to try to help this crisis. And during Biden and Kamala's reign over the border, here's what has happened. Drug seizures at the border increased 164% from 2020 to 2022. The Biden administration is also over one of the largest surges of migrants at our southern border in the history of our border since we started like judging these things. And then there's other places like in Eagle Pass that have seen a large influx of these, of these migrants, even numbering 11,000 illegal crossings in one day. And that's only the people that they can, that they've recorded. That's not the people who bypassed authority. So 11,000 coming in in one day at one place on our border. And then, of course, there's things like Colony Ridge. I talked about Colony Ridge on the show last week, but Colony Ridge is a community of illegal immigrants that now live in Houston because they've been bused from the border into Houston. And there, they have established a colony, a group of houses, and it's really kind of charitable calling it houses. It's tents and um, what do you call those things? Tarps and ropes and that kind of thing where people are living. And now this Colony Ridge is is larger than the landmass of Manhattan. And so these illegal immigrants have flocked to this area and there in that area, uh, some business people have flooded in to try to take advantage of these migrants, offering them predatory loans with interest rates as high as 11% and 20% and even higher than that uh, in order to build houses on this area in Houston. And of course, they're bypassing our legal system in order to do so because people who have snuck into this country illegally are not supposed to be able to qualify for loans. So in, in other words, these men have come in and tried to fleece these people and created predatory loans that prey upon these people who need housing and then offer them housing with exponential interest rates. Now, what is to blame for all of that? You know, we can't blame Kamala for all of it. However, the Biden-Harris administration is responsible for 94 executive actions on immigration. Now, 94, like within the first couple of days of Biden taking office, this administration made 94 executive actions to overturn Trump-era policies. So is it any wonder that this is happening at our southern border? And what does Harris have to say about any of this? Well, she doesn't need to say anything because actually what's going on at our border is happening according to plan. The reason this isn't such a crisis for them is, first of all, they don't have to pay the consequences for it. Places like New York and, and California and Texas, they're the ones who have to pay the price for all of this. Uh, but 
they don't really care about the price because ultimately what they are after is creating new voter blocks. But they're not just after creating new voter blocks. These people actually think this is benevolence. This goes back to an understanding of how important it is for us to get love correct, or at least how to get definitions correct, because we seem to be getting it more and more wrong these days. If we're going to truly love people, as the left thinks they're loving people by allowing them to sneak through the border, we're going to have to be honest about what are the repercussions of that. Is it loving to allow drugs to increase? Is it loving to allow human trafficking to increase? Is it loving to allow prostitution to increase? Is it loving to drag babies? across barbed wire fences in order to sneak into this country, as you can see here. Now, I have to tell you, it's a little bit disturbing to watch this, but essentially you're watching mothers grab their children by their arm and rip their backs to pieces as they go through barbed wire fence. Now, the left is going to tell you that we should just have these fences removed and we should just have an open border um, in order to keep these kind of things from happening. So we're going to blame the inanimate object. We're going to blame the fence rather than these people who are desperate to sneak into this country. Now, I spent a lot of time in Mexico as a missionary there, speak a little bit of Espanol. Um, so I understand. Listen, I know living in America and being poor is better very often than living in Mexico and being middle class, at least in terms of opportunities uh, to elevate yourself. That's, that's absolutely true. That's why these people are sneaking in. But the most humanitarian and the most benevolent thing we can do is not have porous borders, not have open borders, but actually have a border that is safe and secure that people can get through legally. Now, I understand the, the process by which people get into this country legally is, is broken. It's hard to get into the country legally. It shouldn't be as hard as it, as it is. We should have strictures and rules in place. And as long as people are able to abide by those things, and as long as they're willing to walk through our indoctrination programs to help people truly become citizens, I think we should have a, a, a border that is open to allowing uh, immigrants and migrants to come into this country under the right circumstances. But the real problem is, is that until we get that, what is happening is that a porous border is being utilized by the left for political purposes. And they're going to try to slowly but surely, because of DACA and other things, make these people, you know, suffer the consequences of sneaking illegally into this country. And then hopefully their kids will come here, stay here, and then eventually become a voter block for the, the Democratic Party. But again, it isn't just that they need votes. It's that Democrats like Kamala Harris, and I can only assume like La Panza, who is about to take Feinstein's place, actually think that they're doing good things for people and they do not care about the repercussions of what is actually happening. At least Feinstein was barely cognizant of what was happening on a daily basis. I can only imagine that this woman coming into her place is going to do more damage to this country and the left will sit back gleefully enjoying every bit of it as long as they feel like they can personally benefit from it. And the point is, is that Christians and cultural dominance were actually a good thing for this country. And we're going to have to try to win some of that back if we're actually going to undo some of the evil things that are taking place right in front of us. And we'll talk about that in our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. On the show last week, I talked about Andy Stanley's Unconditional Conference, which is a conference dedicated to trying to help parents 
navigate having LGBTQ kids. Now, the conference itself, I suggested, is not the problem as much as there are other problems. And I think what I'm going to talk about today, and I really do just want to talk about it one last time, because even I get tired of talking about these things, but I think there is one last thing that I think is vitally important to talk about as it pertains to Andy Stanley. Now, of course, if you don't know who this man is, then you should know that Andy Stanley is one of the biggest megachurch pastors in the United States, with one of the biggest churches in the United States. And um, it's important to understand that whether you're in the Christian movement or not, guys like this do have some influence over over society. And I took a long time doing an expose about the speakers of the Unconditional Conference and why I, I thought it was problematic to say the least that these individuals were at a church and speaking to other fellow Christians about LGBTQ issues. You can go back and see that if you want to, but I don't want to recap it too much. I just simply want to give you Andy Stanley's response to much of the controversy and the heat that he received as a result of having this conference. Now, if you were expecting Andy Stanley to come out and say, I apologize, I repent, I was wrong, well, good luck with that one. Uh, Rather, what you're going to kind of hear is the kind of equivocation that I've highlighted on the show before when I believe that certain things on, let's say, The Chosen have happened, or perhaps that um, the show has taken a turn that it didn't need to, or created controversy where controversy didn't need to happen. And in like fashion, you're going to hear Stanley not take ownership at all for what took place at his unconditional conference, but rather kind of subtly blame other people and then try to set the record straight. So here's what he had to say in a unreleased document that was leaked out into the public Um, from one of his Sunday morning services, I believe it was Sunday morning, um, one of his services that were not live streamed. And so here's what took place in that service. On Sunday, October 1st, pastor and author Andy Stanley addressed swirling speculation about his stance on gay marriage during a service that was not live streamed. In the comments Stanley made Sunday morning, he publicly affirmed the traditional view that marriage is meant to be between one man and one woman, while also emphasizing the need for compassion for those with LGBTQ identities. Prior to Sunday's worship service, the pastor sent out an announcement explaining that he would be addressing why the church hosted the unconditional conference on Thursday and Friday, and that there wouldn't be a live stream for the service this week. And so this is what Andy had to say. Hey, everybody, you may have heard about or been asked about a conference for parents North Point Community Church is hosting on September 28th and 29th, the Unconditional Conference. A great deal of misinformation has circulated regarding the purpose of the conference, and I do not want you to be misinformed. Well, thank you, Stanley, so much for wanting us not to be misinformed. And so all I can say is this that there might have been misinformation out there. It's a term that is really overused these days, but there wasn't misinformation on my channel. Just to give you again, just a slight recap of what I did on my, on my channel last week about this unconditional conference was to show you one of the speakers, Justin Lee, is the founder of the Gay Christian Network that is now known as Q Conversations or Q Christian Conversations. And the Q, of course, stands for queer. And those queer conversations are an, an attempt to try to, you know, disjointly join the LGBTQ ideology with the the Christian, with the Christian faith, and then I also went a little bit further than that and showed you that Justin Lee was also in collaboration with a group called Starts with Us, 
and Starts With Us had a peculiar video that seemed to be suggesting that kids should be curious or bi-curious, if you will, or sexually curious enough to ask people questions and to try to learn from all people rather than, than what I think would be more beneficial to kids, which is like reading and uh, learning, you know, basic facts about uh, reality rather than trying to help people be curious about things that may not be real and true at all. Suffice to say, there was no misinformation there. It was just information given. It just didn't make Andy Stanley look very good for being a part of this conference and hosting it at his church. So let's just be honest about a couple of things. I said on my show last week that I think Andy Stanley is a righteous man. And by that, I, I don't mean that he gets things right all the time. I understand he's human, but by and large, I think Andy Stanley is a Christian. I, I believe him to be one. I'm not totally sure. Ultimately, that's between him and God at the end of the day. But I, I am willing to give the benefit of the doubt that I think Andy Stanley is a believing man, just fundamentally flawed in so many ways. And I was even honest enough on the show to just ultimately say that I just don't believe that Andy Stanley has the depth to really grapple with these issues. He is the stereotypical PK, and that's what we're seeing right in front of us, is a kid that inherited his father's notoriety, but doesn't have the kind of intellectual acumen to really kind of wrestle with these big issues. And as a result of that, he's finding himself in a lot of, of, of problems. And the biggest issue that, that we have here is, is not the fact that Andy Stanley doesn't affirm traditional marriage. Now, he hasn't said it enough, but he just said it in this statement, and that's great. It's a good start. He said marriage is between a man and a woman, but we need to have compassion for the LGBTQ community. If Andy Stanley said that rather than gay people have more faith than straight people who are going to church and loving their family and tithing and reading the Bible and praying, um, if he wasn't saying stuff like that, then okay, fine. If he was saying more often, hey, um, we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, but we need to find ways to love people in this community. Fine, that that would be that would be okay. But he, but here's the issue: because Andy Stanley lacks the de lacks the depth and the substance that he needs to have to really engage these issues. The real problem is is not his belief in traditional marriage. I'll take him at his word and say I I think he probably does mean what he says there. My problem is not his belief in marriage. My problem is his approach to these issues. Now, I'm very used to people critiquing my approach on my show because I have the tendency to just be, frankly, a little bit blunt. So I think it's only fair that we also critique the approach of Andy Stanley and ask, is it working? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? And I think the answer is maybe there was a time in which it did work. It certainly worked in terms of getting people in churches in large number. But right now, we're seeing one of the greatest declines in church attendance in the past probably three generations. Right now, we're seeing people are leaving church in droves and people are rejecting their faith in the highest number we've seen in a long time. And I can't help but pin some of that at the feet of Andy Stanley and other pastors like him because of their approach. At a time where we are certainly facing a cultural battle where Christians need to stand up and not soft pedal the truth, we are watching peacetime pastors give us their kind of best rendition of these cultural issues, and it isn't working. We need wartime pastors, not peacetime pastors. We need pastors who are going to really stand up and address these issues in a, in a way that might make people uneasy. Let me give you a for instance. Um, if I told you that drag queen shows were immoral, 
And then I told you that they were evil. And then I went a little bit further and told you that they were disgusting. And then took one final step and told you that they are utterly stupid. You might be okay with the first two things, like me saying they're immoral and evil, fine. And then as I get a little bit slippier, slippery, more slippery down the slope and say that they are disgusting and stupid, well, now you might say, Reed, I don't like that approach. You're going to push people away. You're going to make them uh, not like you, and they're not going to listen to you if they don't like what you're saying. You have to be a little bit more charitable. Listen, I, I understand all that. But what we have to get back to is away from those kind of emotional arguments and just ask the question, is what I am saying correct? Is men prancing around in women's lingerie about the lowest of the lowbrow form of art that you could possibly imagine? Is it not the most ridiculous and the most stupid like performance you could conjure up? I mean, you didn't even have to try too hard to conjure up something so ridiculous. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that if what I was saying was not true, fine. And I understand, we have to be charitable. We have to be kind as much as possible. But we also have to be open to other approaches that are not our own approach. Could you imagine being so prideful to think that your approach is the only right approach? But I can tell you this, in the midst of a cultural battle, we need wartime pastors who are going to take an approach that might make you uneasy, but might also win back the culture in a way that is fundamentally important. I give you a historical example. Patton is one of my favorite historical figures, and it is because of his brash way of doing things. He's also one of the most decorated generals in U.S. history. And Patton is well known for slapping a soldier in the face because he had shell shock or wartime fatigue. In other words, he was tired of fighting and he was being emotionally troubled as a result of that. And Patton, instead of understanding the plight of this soldier, slapped the soldier in the face, put his helmet back on him, and sent him back out to fight. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that's kind of harsh, right? That's, that's a little bit over the top. But Patton was sitting there watching men who had lost their arms and lost their legs and their brains were pouring out of their head and were dying in medical tents. And to see a man who is having emotional trauma in the midst of war just made him irate. And so he sent that man back out to fight as he should have fought because Patton understood something. The world was on fire. There was wartime all around and we needed fighters to do what they do best and that is to fight. And whether or not that approach is something that you really like, if it is effective, we need to be willing to think about it. I can tell you this, I don't think Andy Stanley's approach works, and that's what the real problem is here. It's not his views on traditional marriage. It's not whether or not he's gay affirming. It's simply that his approach is ineffective. His approach of trying to soft pedal issues and offer people soft soap isn't what we need. If you're one of those Christians who's reserving all of your criticism for other Christians who are fighting back, then I want to ask you to stand to one side. It's time for the warriors to arise who will fight and win back this culture at one of the most important times. And the people who deserve the biggest platforms are not the ones who are going to tiptoe around these issues, but who are going to be honest about them and hit them head on, even if it makes you a little bit queasy in your stomach when these guys stand up, hopefully like myself, and declare the truth in some ways that get people's attention. It's not that we just care about winning, it's that we care about people. And because we care about people, we care about winning. Because the world that is situated 
in the realm of the truth is what is best for people even if they don't realize it. The most compassionate thing you can do, and it is in our present culture, a truly radical form of love. One of the most radical things you can do is to tell people the truth. Again, charitably, sure, but tell them the truth and be honest about it and say it as often as you possibly can because in the meantime, the culture is saturated in lies. You can say all you want to about the statistics of Christians being the majority of people in America, but the reality is, is practicing Christians who are standing up and declaring the truth are few and far between. We have problems in the culture today and there is a solution for it, but we have to be willing to let people like myself and others who are willing to stand up and be a blunt instrument when it's needed do their thing if we're going to truly make a difference in society. It's time for spiritual men to fight and win back this culture, and it's time for those platforms to get bigger and bigger until they overshadow the platforms of those who are not willing to do it. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.